Welcome to the Dance Centre podcast. I am your host, Claire French, and I'm joining you from the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, also known as Vancouver, Canada. I'll be talking to dancers, choreographers and other members of the dance world here on the West Coast to find out more about their creative work and practices and to discuss what it means to us to be dance professionals today. Thanks for joining us. Born in Manila, in the Philippines, Alvin Oresca Tolentino immigrated to Canada in 1983. He's based on the unceded ancestral territories of the Coast Salish peoples of the Squamish, Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh nations, also known as Vancouver. His professional arts and dance training includes the Royal Winnipeg Ballet, York University Toronto, SUNY Purchase and the Lamone Institute in the US. He continues to grow with ongoing artistic collaboration, relations and liaison with prominent dance artists and arts educators across the nation and abroad. A sought-after and established virtuoso dance interpreter, Tolentino has continued to receive critical praise as a dancer for his outstanding interpretations of his own works, along with some of Canada's finest choreographers and dance companies. In 2000, Tolentino founded company Arasga, a dance company dedicated to the research, creation and presentation of contemporary dance with an emphasis on exploration and collaboration with diverse artists nationally and abroad. With extensive international tours and artistic collaborations, Tolentino has featured dance works across the world. In 2010, Alvin was awarded the Vancouver Mayor's Arts Award for Dance in recognition of his contributions to the field and to Vancouver's cultural communities. And in 2018, he received the Explore Asian Pan-Asian Award for Contribution in the Arts and Multiculturalism. You can find out more at companyarasgadance.ca. I'm joined by Alvin Arasga Tolentino, artistic director and co-founder of Company Arasga Dance, or Co-Arasga Dance. So much to talk about. I believe it's 20 years of the company. And that in itself is a whole podcast or a whole series of podcasts. <laughs> I'm sure we could go there too. However, for today and for this particular podcast, I thought we could go pre-Company Arasga and find out a little bit more about the man behind the company and also bring us right up to date with what the company is doing, what Alvin is doing and Alvin's perspectives and philosophies or principles for the company, but just around art making and collaboration, interdisciplinary work, indigenous influence. There's so much. So I need to help Alvin out here a little bit <laughs> to start this. And welcome, Alvin. Hello. And please say hello if you would like to uh, listen. Hello, to Claire. Lovely Hi. to be here with you. How did it all start for you? Like we could go as far back as your training in your early days, but I'm, I am interested in some of your experiences pre-company to start us off. So that's probably also a long time period. But could you give us if a If I still of, remember them. If you still remember. I'll make, I'll make it up for us. It's fine. <laughs> or if I, want, if I don't want to remember that. No, I mean, you know, I, I really started as an independent dance artist. And most of my training really were... Uh, back east at York University because I was a student of York University and I've done a lot of uh, also studies at the Limon Institute and I was at SUNY Purchase also and spent a lot of time in Montreal because that's where a lot of the big 
names contemporary dance artists at that time you know we're looking at really early 90s right and then i was also a student of the royal winnipeg ballet so i spent some time uh in the prairies you know for a couple of years in winnipeg being part of the royal winnipeg ballet so i'm somewhat of an alumni of the classic <laughs> the classic uh institution and then i went back to the west coast and done some some training at SFU when SFU uh dance uh school or faculty was still up in the mountain Burnaby Art Burnaby Mountain yeah and so they used to do this summer school where they would bring all dance artists and teachers from across the lands and you know have a wonderful summer session and so that's really where things kind of st- sort of shifted for me because I think Lola McLaughlin saw me and she approached me to possibly work with her and do some research work and I agreed to do that and and she invited me to to basically uh be part of the creation that she was doing. And so from then on I just became a real Vancouver independent dance artist and really started to work for all the big companies, you know, like Kokoro Dance, Kinesis Dance, Jennifer Mescal. I was with Edam. And so, you know, all the big companies, I was really uh, supporting and dancing for them. And I did that for a good decade, you know, a good 10 years before I really decided to to shift into having a company. And I think the main reason for that was that i was really exhausted being an interpreter for all these choreographers which of course i honor and i love and i've learned so much but i think you can only take on so much as an independent dance artist when you're moving from one choreographer to another in the course of a three day like sometimes i would rehearse for three companies So that was that was quite uh, a strenuous for for the mind and the body and the soul really. So and so I decided that you know maybe I need to do something else. And also at that time I was also making my own work already. And 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 I think that was very important. That was yeah. that was really a, a signifying idea for for what might happen in the future you know and looking into that but you know i mean i nobody to, nobody told me how to create a company nobody told me about how to build a non-profit so none of that none yeah. of that you're not trained for that yeah what i love about this is i arrived in vancouver in 1997 so i was just at the tail end of the summer school up on the hill in Burnaby right. Mountain but I did my master's degree from the hill so I was up in Burnaby too right so my experience of SFU and the the MFA which is what I moved here for is all Burnaby Mountain those shacks you know the little kind of huts at the end of the world at the end of the world at the end of the world for me coming from London yeah, yeah. and I remember you being one of the the independent dancers of of yeah. the city Yeah. And I knew a little bit about your history, but I knew you as a dancer and as a a force as a dancer for all of these companies because I saw you in all of the companies. And this happens sometimes. It still happens where the same dancers appear in 
works with all of with the same companies and you can't they can't help but become part of the aesthetic of a city i believe but i also think what you're talking about it doesn't surprise me that you created started to create your own work or that you maybe always had that passion and i think that's also a, was a draw for choreographers to work with you because there was a sense of how strongly and uh, you you took the role of interpreter because I think to be strong in the role of interpretation, you are also choreographing and you are also creating. Absolutely. And you are also giving so generously of your own ideas. Yeah. And so I see that a lot. And there, of course, there's burnout. If you're giving that to a lot of different companies, you're having to adapt your own you know, vision in each of these circumstances, but also your own training all the time for the different Absolutely. needs of the choreographers. Yeah. So no wonder there's burnout, but I'm also extremely happy to hear and I think it will be lovely for lots of younger uh, up-and-coming dancers who find themselves in the same position as you, working for mm -hmm. all of these people, three or four people a day, that maybe there's an inkling there, uh, a gut instinct to be dance makers with their own ideas, with their own setup. And as scary as that might sound, you are testament to the fact that it can be extremely successful. You're also an amazing model, I think, in this city, especially for producing and um, no. presenting other people's work and mentoring works or giving people an opportunity to show their work whatever stage it's at so was that something you just was that something you decided once you had the organization umbrella that you wanted to offer like where is that something you've always wanted to do or how do you I, think that came about I think that really came about with being uh, an independent dance artist and a creator because there's just so much pathways towards creation. And yeah. sometimes I think what's overlooked is what's behind the scene and what are the processes and what are the stages, which I found very interesting as an interpreter and as, a, as an interpreter and also as a creator. And those stages are so imperative to the final creation, if there is such a thing as final creation or production, you know, what happens in, to the in-between spaces of, of the arts making and, and also to the, the fact that you won't always have all the, the resources to be able to be, to dream big, to put your production. So I thought about, well, you know, if I make a short solo, then I should have the possibility to exercise to share that to my audience, to the public, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? And so the challenges, I think, really provided me the kind of formula to make sure that within the work that I'm doing, but also for the other works of the people that I know, my peers and the artists that I work with, the different generation that I have encountered, because I realize that they're in the same shoes as I am. Yeah. You know, so many people want to make work, but some are not really fully ready. Some are in, you know, still in progress. But how do you go about that? But there's something very important about sharing those progress, those those process, you know, because they're they're part of the development. It it's also very insightful, I think, for the artist to present those those raw spaces of a creation so that there's information that 
a creator cannot access to all the time by by himself or herself, right? In the studio. So so though I those are so important and we don't often talk about those and we don't often integrate them into into the practice. And I think more and more there's a little bit of that. But back then it's it's not really, you know. So No, it's it's relatively new, I think. But I, I also think that there's something about and I think you do this in spades, like in like you make sure there's a component of it seems all of the projects you do where there's a a sense of uh, sharing with an audience where artists can share with an audience like you just said to learn from to garner information from people outside of the process that can then inform the more steps of the process and I think what's really lovely about that is then when you talk about final or if you say like the final performance or, the, or when it's finally ready for an audience, there's something about it marking chapters or like stages of research and not being afraid to share something that may not be finished. You know, the, the objective to have something to share with people is also about being ready to articulate what it is you're mm-hmm. interested in. Mm-hmm. And then you can refine your vision, right? It's all yeah. about refining practice at the same time. And I know that you're really big on that. But I think the other thing that I'd love to talk to you about is how did you find such a strong thread for collaborating with international artists and with interdisciplinary artists? Because I think that's a for 20 years you've been doing that. <laughs> and I think that I think this is just wonderful because, again, it's another push for you say you can't always you can always dream big. Right? You can't always pull it off in terms of resources or funding. But you've always found a way to maintain an idea outside of it being provincial even or outside of it being, you know, there's always this international global sense of, of what you present. So could you talk a little bit about that maybe? Well, it's a question that's been um, asked before. And I think for me, the, the aspect of collaboration for me is really about the stage of learning like that's one of the key key ways that I continue to kind of educate myself about the practice. And that is from collaborating with other people and other artists that lives in different culture, because that's so enriching. You know, people that come from South America or Europe or Asia, they all bring something that's somewhat similar to where I am in my practice, but also very different because they come from very different backgrounds. And so that really interests me. And I find that collaboration is so challenging that I'm actually really drawn to that challenge. I know that's that's probably crazy to say, but there's something about when you have to really let go of your ego so that the art can survive or can have uh, a present, you know. And you do that through collaboration because in collaboration you really have to you have to integrate together. That's just the the, the real human kind of connection that you have to do with people. And uh, and also part of that also I think is that my belief with the artist to artist network. I, I think there's a lot of ways to to expand one's creativity by working with not so much the big institution, but to other independent dance artists who's in the same field as I am, who's trying to connect so that they can find a space or another avenue so that they can bring their work to another 
you know, another place, you know. Um, yeah. And that and that artist to artist network has been has been there for the longest time beyond the aspect of touring, you know, beyond the aspect of international exchanges. The artist to artist network, I think, is has always been there from the very beginning, you know. Our our sense of wanting to work with other people is 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 I think part of the part of the puzzle that's always been there. It's just that we don't, you know, we don't think of that so much in the arts, but I think it's always there helping you know helping other artists uh, with the same yeah. vision as you do and i find that i find that very helpful because i you know i've had a lot of opportunities to to also come to bigger institution but it's such a different approach you know you have to be you have to be business minded you have to have a product and sometimes that's not really the the pathways that you want you just want to learn something new and sometimes mm-hmm. the best way to do it is just to collaborate with another artist that you don't know, right? Yeah, and then you're practicing, right? The thing is that practicing your art making, being in process with others is is part of, and I think this is something maybe we've both learned from institutional models where you are in group creation processes quite often. So that there's just a, an innate understanding that by being in the room and in a studio with other people, you are learning by osmosis from those other bodies, those those other minds, those other interpretations. And once you have that, and once you have that in a positive manner, you don't want it to go out of your life, right? (laughs) You you need to create opportunities. Yeah, yeah. It's life changing. I find it very light. I find it life changing. And it's, it's very personal. And that's, that's the kind of learning and method that is not taught. You really you you practice that through collaboration. It's just like community. It's just like working in the community. It's really it's very collaborative, and that's letting go of the ego and really going deep into a personal level in order to understand the other culture, the other person. Yeah. So I think this is interesting because there is a crossover there that you just alluded to in terms of collaborating on artistic works for performance, and then community collaboration where you're collaborating with community organizations or community partners or just members of a community who are not wouldn't necessarily call themselves artists but from my experience of some of the things you've done over the last two decades that I've come into as a an observer if you like or a loose participant like coming in to watch kind of a stage of a process or something with community partners I've always found that those community partners are artists like, you know, there's a sense of the way that you work and the way that you work with them is to bring out their artistry or to bring out their sense of artists and the, of themselves. And I think that's also where they come because <laughs> they know yeah. that you'll do that with them. And I've always been taken by how you have done that personally and your collaborators have done that. And so there is something in who you choose to work with and who you choose to bring that, that I think is really important. Can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe how you've met these people that you want to further connect with or whether it's an instinct for you? Well, I think I think sometimes there are artists that I have just followed over time and really understand mm-hmm. how deep their work are in terms of their creativity, but also their positioning to the community. And that really interests me because it gives me a perspective about where else does dance 
can be shared and can breed and how else beyond the aspect of staging or being in the studios. So, you know, th- th- there's, there's so many interesting artists across the world that are doing that. And recent, an example of that is, is Santi Smith, uh, you know, whom I have followed for the longest time. And I just, I really just, you know, I, I thought that the work that she does is so special, you know, you know, the, the, the concept of arts and land-based land practice, based. you know, and so I've, I've just observed it over time, but I don't really know Santi that well. I've just known her as an artist, but, you know, I told her, I, I told her that, you know, I want to have the the courage to just tell you that I want you to come to Vancouver and just share your work. I mean, she's Uh, been here before. She's been presented uh to our community several times. But just to to have that collaborative and get to know her personally gives me a kind of a clear, you know, a clear connection and to really understand, okay, that's why I'm drawn to this artist is because of the kind of work that she she does. Very specific, you know. I find it's great. I was just going to say that what, what it, that allows for as well, if you're connecting on a deeper level than watching a performance of somebody and actually being able to engage with them is also you can address your own assumptions about that person's work. That's right. <laughs> as well, you know. So That's right, yeah. With them. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I interrupted you, but... Um, so yeah, you- so I, I think there, there's something about... There's something about knowing an artist and not knowing them at the same time, <laughs> but having the interest in the kind of vision that they have for dance. And that, that's that I get drawn by that. I get drawn mm-hmm. by that, by that possibility, because that's part of the learning, you know, that's part of the expansion of learning and education, educating myself in terms of how else can you move dance to, something bigger, something that I've not encountered before. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about choosing your dancers for your productions? Like, do you audition for people or do you, are you is it more a sense of, I know, because it's, it's these, there are, like you said in the beginning, there are so many different pathways mm-hmm. into creation. And I think in that same way, there are so many, we have to be careful about who we cast and who we work with for our visions, right? <laughs> it's it, it's it's absolute. It, it's complete. It's contingent upon performers or our collaborators understanding mm-hmm. the work in a way, not necessarily understanding for you and me, not necessarily understanding our perspective yeah. on the work, but un- having a deep sense of the work and a deep understanding for themselves. So, I mean, you've probably had lots of different models. You've probably tried everything. Well, I, I think I'm. I'm really an observer. Like mm. I watch dancers, and uh, you know, and occasionally I would I would come to school shows, and and just observe who's out there. So I do watch who's who's upcoming, and and also sometimes I just have an innate and just an innate feeling about it that this could be the possible dancer mm-hmm. to work with you know mm-hmm. and sometimes i think it's not a sud- it's not a quick you know it's not a quick exchange it could take a long time yeah. you know and, and i have had that i mean some of the dancers that i work with have been with me for 
I don't know, four or five years, you know. Mm. So, so there is a kind of a developmental period of getting to know each other, the language, yeah. the vocabulary, the aesthetic, the ideas, how I work in the space. But, but no, it's it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to find the dancers to to interpret yeah. the work. Yeah, it's not and easy. I think it, no, and I think it's important. I feel it's important for younger dancers or maybe starting out dancers. Maybe they've danced already for 15 years in professional capacities in a certain context. Um, But then suddenly to be in the contemporary dance making environment, it's also opportunity for dancers to get to know choreographers and how they work. I think I think it's really important to have for that perspective to be in the room, but I think it's also room for the dancer to get to know the choreographers, and absolutely, and if it's what they want, you know, absolutely. in their own lives. Yeah. So I th- yeah. I think it's a it's a beautiful thing to take the pressure off it being a gig yeah. and uh, you know su- yeah. I'm now a successful dancer because I work for so and so. It's it's a time to learn. Yeah, and I and I have encouraged the uh, I have encouraged in the past to have apprentices to come in in the space. Yeah. From early on, we've had exchanges with young, much, much younger, younger art dancers that can just be in the space, learn the, learn the vocabulary, learn the, the research, you know, and, and be there with us. And whether they end up actually performing it one day, there's something about that process that's really important, right? Mm-hmm. So. So there's that level, and then your collaborators tend to be more mature artists who I would say are your peers um, across the board. Like Across you know, the board, yeah. Flamenco, Cassandra. Cassandra, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, you know, I mean, the collaboration with Cassandra is the same thing. I mean, she's, I, we've known each other for so long, you know, but... Yeah. Uh, but but I think it was the right timing because she's really interested in really moving into the aspect of uh, collaboration, but also like just really thinking about the possibility of flamenco to move into this new hybrid practice, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Expression, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, I'm I'm actually working with the flamenco community quite a bit with the International Flamenco Festival and Flamenco Rosario. So, of course. Flamenco is a contemporary art form, mm-hmm. and uh, as well as being it in in its traditional kind of cultural form, which remains, and separate to Spanish classical dance. So I wonder yeah. if we could bring that back around to your history and your interest in. Do you have interest in Filipino dance traditions? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I started. You know, I I immigrated to Canada in 1983. And so I already had some training in Filipino cultural dances before I arrived to Canada. So that's really kind of my my first encounter with dance. And so that has remained quite an interest to me for the longest time. Uh, But not so much... Not so much about the the classic of the Filipino cultural dances, but more so about I think the history of indigenous practices that are integral to those dances and how they mm-hmm. came about, how they're rooted and related to the community, to the indigenous community, and how then came about to form into something that's for a dance. 
mm-hmm. right? Uh, because there's a, such deep history with uh, indigenous and how the relationship of dance and, and, and indigenous practice and what that is, you know, uh, because dance is a kind of a ritual, yeah. For for indigenous uh, practices and so so it's not th- that word dance is not really it may not exist as dance as we know it it may be it may be more than that it may be a spiritual thing yeah. and so that is that is really the place that I am really very interested and in, and in continuing to learn and to understand what that is, the mystery of that indigenous relationship to that kind of practice of body moving for something greater than who we are and this thing around us. And in appreciation of of everything aspects of aspects of the culture and of the, the culture yeah. of everything, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, you know, of and everything. Communion. Of, yeah, of communion, yeah. community, people, you know, yeah. the, 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 recep- the reciprocity of what we receive from, from the land and how that's mm-hmm. celebrated, you know, and, and how, how people are, the, the idea of the gift and receiving it, you know. Mm-hmm. What resonates with me is this idea of there is no people audience necessary for that kind of... Practice. Practice, it's actually... In almost the practitioner is also the audience. The audience is also yeah. the the and the one who is like you said receiving, but also creating that moment with, you know, in relation with. That's given me a lot of room and scope to continue to practice. Actually, as a dancer, most recently, that's been the thing that I've been like, oh, I I value this, and I am so grateful and appreciative that I can. And that I have this knowledge and that and I it's so much part of me that I have to express it and I have mm-hmm, to honor mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And so that's brought me to a different place as a dancer or as a dance artist, which I'm mm-hmm. extremely excited by at the moment because it just it's thrilling. It's like mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for that side. I'd love to talk about what's coming up for you, because as usual, <laughs> you have an entire. <laughs> You have an entire, like, you have an, you know how to do seasons, like, and you, you know how to have an, an annual program, like going back to this idea of not necessarily institution, but honoring the fact that you have company or as good and dance. You do so much in a year, in a kind of season, if you like. I know for a small company like us. Yes, I know. It's it's quite a hectic season. Yeah, exactly. And it's, but just concentrating on uh, Company Araska then, already I was able to enjoy one, only one of Alvin um, Calentis classes as artist <laughs> in residence for you. That was wonderful. Gaga class. Loved it. Wish I could have gone to more. But you also have a world premiere of Accumulation um, coming up. Uh, and you do have something coming up, um, I believe, at Scotiabank Dance Centre, which is more of a symposium. But mm-hmm. first, let's talk a little bit about Accumulation, which I believe will be at Performance Works in November on Granville Island. Yeah. Would you like to talk a little bit about that work? Well, this this is uh, a new creation for company that's uh, really a project that <laughs> that was postponed because of COVID, as you yeah. know. So I'm still yeah. in the recovery phase yeah. because this is a project that should have been completed in 2020 and should have been touring by now. But all of that got canceled. And so here we are 
three years after, and we're just ready to premiere a piece of work. Basically, Excellent. yeah. <laughs> and so this is a, this is a Canada-France project with my longtime uh, French uh, composer collaborator Emmanuel May, and then we're also working with the renowned French sculptor Mark Garrington. It's really it's an environmental arts project. Uh, it's really about responding to where we are right now uh, with what's going on and the crucial time for our ecology and mm-hmm. with the many devastating things that's happening uh, across the lands. And, you know, this is not something, this is not new for me. I mean, I've done work that's that's based on this uh, since the beginning. And, but mm-hmm. I think more than ever, this is so much more relevant so relevant right now and so just really asking the question that how can we as artists and how can dance move into that kind of expression and creation how can dance be a a kind of an ambassador for nature Uh and and the kind of crisis that we're facing how can we face that as artists you know i have i love this quote that is by robin wall kimmer I don't know if you know her. She's the the author of Braiding Sweetgrass. And she asked the question of one of her lecture is, uh, what does the earth ask of us? You know, mm-hmm. so that's been a kind of a, a really poignant um, quote that, that is kind of generating my relationship with this work. And I'll just lead to that and I'll let the audience kind of make a decision yeah. to that question. What does the earth ask of us? Yeah, I think I came across that quote through you, though, via you on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I think you posted it. So yeah. I, I was like, I, that's familiar, but I think it's still through you. That is familiar yeah. to me. And I also think what's wonderful is that this is, again, back to the intergenerational aspect of and the that how important that is for you, because what also makes it contemporary and timely is that the, the dancers themselves are bringing an understanding of what it means to be dancers in this climate, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. this environment, addressing those very issues from their core at the time that they're starting their training. They, 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 you know, it's it's so much an issue of our time that they are very much part of that decision making around it and choice making. Choice making how we handle it. Yeah. Um. So you also have a symposium. I yeah. Believe. Yeah, up. this is a uh, this is uh, a symposium that will be in partnership with the Dance Center and Raven Spirit Dance and Company Erasco. So, so it's a tri-organizing partners. This is uh, a symposium that is built by Sadma Bungu, uh, Company Natya Natya uh, from Montreal. Um, this is a traveling symposium entitled. Uh-huh not just dance. (laughs) It's really just gathering artists, artists of colors, uh, artists that we may not have had connection with, but are really integral into the milieu, into the development and into the, into the, you know, fibers of what makes dance and what else is dance? Not just mm-hmm. dance. What else is dance? So it's really for everyone to commune together, to have a discussion, to provoke ideas, to question and to ask 
people's practices and to share it in a room. And the Dance Center is really grateful to be hosting this. And we'll do that for November 24th and 25th. So it's coming up. And yeah, and, and and it'll be open to the public, of course. So so it's something to look forward to. So, and as you know, this is such an important time for all of us. You know, this mm-hmm. this context of cultural shifting and really asking the question of what else is dance? Who does dance belong to? Who does art belong to? It's so uh, it's so important. You know, um, if there's something that COVID really brought us is that reflection of what is our relationship to the practice you know mm-hmm. what what does it mean right what's the how can we expand it or what yeah. or, or what what is it in our personal personal relationship you know and i i think also what have we i think there's opportunity um what have we missed what have we missed yeah what have we missed about what it is or could be. I'm thinking of like there are books like Rewriting History where the perspective on you know to think about not taking a, a, a Eurocentric Western you know uh, perspective on contemporary dance and shift it and looking elsewhere through history for what dance is rewrites. From the beginning of time. From the beginning of time. It rewrites. From the beginning of um, time. Yeah. And then there's the other side, which is like, yeah, but what is your what is your perspective? What do you value about that issue? What is your what's resonating with you about that? And we have the opportunity as artists to delve into that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. a, it's a privilege to to have that and to even recognize that we can do that with our lives is a wonderful thing. Yeah, and um, I think also this context of open discussion, yeah. you know, and really the, the aspect of sharing and opening and and allowing the vulnerability to be shared, you know, that's mm. something that I find really special at this time. And, mm. and to let people have a space and to voice, I think that's something that we need to really encourage, you know. Yeah, because we might be like-minded artists, but we're not. We're not think we don't think the same. No. And we don't create the same work, and it's very important that we don't. <laughs> and so, and so, I think there's a lot around that. That you know, that's what I think. Partly, maybe what I mean by what what's missing from the dialogue around art making. Like yeah. it brings back to what you were saying in the very beginning. But just that whole thing about um, you know different pathways to creation, but there's also different actualizations of the work, and there's different stages of work that um, I think we sometimes don't talk about enough like you say yeah yeah okay this has been wonderful alvin um there's a lot more we could perhaps talk about but i think we'll save it for another podcast maybe the traveling symposium i love the idea of i've always had this vision of it isn't that amazing so really this is this is from the the great minds of uh, Saab and uh, she's done it first in montreal and she's thrilled that it's moving to vancouver and her hope and goal is for it to travel across the globe. I thought what a wonderful way to really uh, go deep into another's community. But through So did you say Zab? Zab. Yeah, Zab Mabungu. Mabungu. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been a pleasure. I'm so glad that your accumulation is finally happening. So, dates? November 9, 10 and 11. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you Such for discussing. Yeah, wonderful to have all of these uh, podcasts happening. Yeah, isn't it great? I love it. Another it's great. Thing I'm for in life. It's great. <laughs> okay.
See you soon. Okay, keep well. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts, as this will help other listeners find us and help us to grow our dance audience. We'll be back next month. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at The Dance Center, Twitter at Dance Center, and Instagram at The Dance Center BC. And if you'd like to support our work, please consider making a donation. Just go to our website at thedancecenter.ca where you'll find extensive information about our upcoming programs and events. The music for the Dance Center podcast was composed by James B. Maxwell. Always a pleasure to connect with you through dance. Until next time. Thank you.